What's up, everyone? This is Wes Lyon from McGill and Lyon Dental Advisors. Welcome to the Drilling It Down podcast. More dentists than ever are searching for solid, independent, objective financial advice. On this show, I sit down with my guests to help you see clearly through the fall, providing education as it relates to practice management, tax planning, investing, practice transitions, really any financial topic you can name that's going to help you reach your goals. Welcome to Getting to the Truth of the Employee Retention Tax Credit. This is your co-host, Wes Lyon, President and CEO of McGill and Lyon Dental Advisors, a member of the McGill and Hill Group. And next to me is my sidekick and CPA, Tyler Ott. And today we're going to go over the truth behind this employee retention tax credit. There's been a lot in the news that's come out lately. The IRS has certainly been targeting these and Many dentists may find themselves being the target of an audit, so we want to make sure that everybody that is qualified to take this credit gets the maximum credit that they deserve. And for those of you that may have taken a credit that you don't feel so great about anymore, we want to make sure you understand all of your options. So welcome, and we're going to get right to it here. So Tyler, thanks for joining us and sharing your expertise. Yeah, thanks for having me. Employee retention tax credit's a real interesting topic. It's probably one of the more top of mind accounting industry topics right now. And that's saying something because there's not a lot of interesting accounting topics to work with. But there's been a lot of talk about this. As Wes mentioned, the IRS has put out a lot of information about it. And I was just wondering, Wes, if you could just give me a little refresh, a little recap on the history behind this credit. Give me a deal with what's going on with it. Yeah. So back when COVID came, the first thing that the government did was this PPP loan program and everybody got the PPP loans. We won't really go into much detail about them, but at the time that the PPP loans came out and the employee retention tax credit came out, at the time you couldn't take both. But as many of our newsletter subscribers will know, we had everyone delay processing their forgiveness applications because when we read the intent of the law, we did not think that the law intended that you could only take one. The law really intended or what you know Congress wanted was you could take both if you were impacted, but you couldn't use the same wages for both. So that was the first thing that tripped a lot of people up. But you know what it really is, is it's a payroll tax credit. And that payroll tax credit is equal to varying percentages of wages, depending on whether or not you qualify. So this credit is actually still available to apply for before we get into it. And that's what's really tripping a lot of people up here is some people are going in and they're applying for it and they have no idea. So the deadlines to apply, depending on your amended payroll tax returns, are really for 2020 tax year. It's going to be about April 15th of 2024. And for 2021 tax year, it's April 15th of 2025. So I've been hearing a lot of scary things about this. Should our clients be still applying? It it depends, but that's a a great question. So we're going to go into it and we'll start off by showing everyone, hey, what is this about? Who does qualify? And let's make sure everybody knows who does and doesn't qualify and what you qualify for because there's a a ton of noise out there. So as I mentioned, when this originally came out, you know, nobody was really applying for it because at the time you had to choose between the PPP loan and the employee retention tax credit. And the PPP loan was free money, no strings attached. And the employee retention tax credit was only equal to 50% of the wages up to $5,000 per employee. So while most one doctor practices got a PPP loan between, you know, $70,000, dollars you know, this tax credit was capped at $5,000 per employee or roughly $30,000 for a one doctor practice. So this was half to a third to maybe even a quarter of what the PPP program was offering. So most doctors originally did the PPP program. Now, for those that listened to the newsletter and they held off on their forgiveness application, the IRS eventually came out and said, hey, you can actually or Congress had to change the law, excuse me. And they said, hey, you can take both, but you cannot use the same wages to count for each one. So what ended up happening was if you hadn't applied for forgiveness yet, you could segregate your wages and make sure you had enough to take both if you qualified. Mm -hmm. Now, that amount you're going to qualify for, as mentioned, it's varying percentages depending on quarters. In 2020, it was 50% of the first $10,000 
of wages per employee. So a maximum of $5,000 per employee for all of 2020. And there were three quarters you might be eligible in 2020, which really helped because if you had to fill out that forgiveness application and you used a bunch of your wages to get forgiven for the PPP loan, then you still had other quarters if you qualified to use for the employee retention tax credit. But then 2021, you could get 70% of the first $10,000 of wages per quarter for the first three quarters, or a total of $21,000 per employee maximum. And this was really meant to help businesses that were struggling. And that's where we need to get in the qualifications because it sounds great. I'm sure everyone's gotten an advertisement, $26,000 per employee. You can see it on, I mean, it was on an NBA game I was, I was watching. I was it. just going to bring that up. If, if it's on an NBA advertisement, you know there's got to be something fishy when it comes to accounting strategies. Yeah, I, I want to say, and I can't remember off the top of my head, so don't quote me on this, but I want to say it was like written on the sideline of one of the NBA games. I remember watching it just going, oh my gosh, this is out of hand. But everybody's had somebody, you know, call them, cold email, all these shops. And it's they're offering this $26,000 per employee if you just fill out the form. And, you know, they only take 10 to 25 to 30% of it for the, you know, process of getting you this money, which should be the first red flag. But that's really it. It's a total of 26000 that you could get. Now we really want to concentrate on how you qualify. There's three ways to qualify. The first, and this is the one that's really the one that matters in what we're going to talk about today the most, it's a drop in collections. So in 2020, you'd had to have a quarter in which your collections dropped 50% versus a prior quarter. So that would be considering, let's say, most dentists, it's going to be quarter two of 2020, and you would compare that collection number versus quarter two of 2019. Mm -hmm. And the same for quarter three, the same for quarter four. And the interesting part, though, about the 2020 calculation is if you qualified in quarter two, you actually qualified automatically in quarter three as well. You didn't unqualify yourself until collections reached an 80% threshold. Mm -hmm. So if you qualified in quarter two of 2020 because you were down 50%, then you would actually qualify the next quarter. And if you only got to 78% of quarter three of 2020 versus quarter three of 2019, then you would push it even into the Mm -hmm. fourth quarter. So a lot of these practices, they could take it in the second quarter. They didn't get 5,000 per employee, but they could take it, you know, all the way Mm -hmm. through to the next one. So there's a drop in collections. That's the one we're going to spend a lot of time on. It's another one. If you're a recovery startup, business. So we're not going to cover this one in detail today, but if you did start your business in 2020 or later, this is definitely something you want to talk to your CPA about and make sure you get everything you can. And this third one, this is the full or partial suspension due to governmental orders. This is where all the confusion is lying on what this was meant for, how it's there. So we'll dive into a little bit more detail on each of these. Gross receipts test This is going to be the main qualifier for most dental practices. And as I mentioned, it's in 2020, you got to be down 50% for any quarter compared to 2019 or more. 2021, you're still going to compare to 2019, but it's a 20% decline for any quarter as compared to 2019. So this is very straightforward. This is how most of the big tax credits are going to get qualified. This is how most dental practices will qualify. I'll get into the caveats and some of the minute details and the other ways to qualify. But to make it simple, if you received a very large tax refund, this should be the method in which you qualified. If you received 15, 20,000 or maybe 2,500 per employee, there's another way you might have gotten that, which we're going to get into. But if you got $26,000 per employee, this is the way that you would have needed to qualify for that. And a lot of the promoters are saying otherwise, which is the problem we're running into here. Yeah, they're they're not the ones that are looking at your collections quarter over quarter. They're they're trying to look into, you know, a little loophole. And that's where <laughs> everyone's getting into little problems. And that's where the IRS is finally taking a stand. No, absolutely. So the recovery startup business is just a business that began after February 15th of 2020. As I mentioned, we're not going to get into the minutia of this one. It's not where most of the problems are, uh, for dentists at least. But if 
If you do qualify in this range, you definitely want to talk to your CPA. Don't talk to a promoter. Talk to your CPA, somebody you can trust to help you qualify for this. But you mentioned there, you know, people are getting into a little bit of trouble here. So this is the one people are getting into trouble for. And it's the practice suspension. And it's, was your practice fully or partially suspended due to a government order? Now, I can't tell you. I I don't know what's in these promoters' minds on how they read the law and what they came up with. This was really meant that if somebody was down 19% instead of 20%, that, you know, they still had a way Mm -hmm. of going in there and claiming this credit because that's still a significant impact. But it really wasn't meant for businesses that didn't have a decline. So I think the threshold here they're really stating is they want about 10%. Mm. So your business has to be impacted in order to. Now, this governmental order thing is it's a little more complicated than everybody's making it out to be. So the first thing is there has to be a government order. I'll, this can't be verbal, can't be peer pressure, can't be OSHA. This has to be a governmental order that impacted your ability to do business. Now, a lot of people are going to be able to find these orders, but they find them and they're starting like March 18th, 19th, if I can recall correctly, when the world shut down, whatever that date was. They typically start there and depending on where you are, they range from, you know, four to eight weeks, but it has to be an official written government order. And not somebody on a press conference, you know, has to really be a written governmental order that impacted your ability to practice. So a lot of places, like here in North Carolina, there's a lot of peer pressure, but a lot of the areas in North Carolina do not have a governmental order to show for this. But the governmental order, a lot of practices that state kept their staff on while they were actually shut down will qualify for like this six to eight week period in order to take the credit. But that credit per employee ain't $26,000 when you do this government order for that time period in which you are shut down. It ends up being a few thousand per employee. I, I found most, I calculated a few of these for people just to help them out. And I found that most of them was like two, three thousand per employee if they're basing it off this governmental order and where you fully or partially suspended. Now, the promoters are taking this, and there's a little caveat in there that the government order doesn't technically have to be in your jurisdiction. If you have a supplier or somebody that was shut down to a government order and you couldn't get what you needed to practice or really open your business, then you know, you can still qualify based off of this. So it, here would be a good example if I'm an auto repair shop, but I can't get parts. And I can't get parts because my parts suppliers are shut down due to a government order and they're not manufacturing. Then I can actually claim it based off the manufacturer of the parts. Now, this doesn't apply just because, you know, your stuff was sitting, if the car parts were sitting in a ship and the ship just wasn't there, then that really doesn't count. It has to be a government order. So let's say... You know, here in the Southeast, we weren't really shut down much, but maybe the auto parts were getting made in the Northeast. Well, you can qualify based off that supplier in that case. But there's another caveat to that. If you could get the parts from a different supplier (laughs) or you had them stocked up, then you can't claim the credit. And this is where really the dentists get into trouble because, yes, it was definitely harder to get things, but you could still get them. There really wasn't mass shortage to the point where you couldn't operate your dental practice due to a shortage of something. And this is the part where all the promoters are taking the law and they're skewing it. And they're just saying, hey, if your business was impacted by COVID, then you can take this credit. And it that's not how it works. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's definitely for the ones that had that a significant negative impact and really seeing it through collections. All these other ones are... You know, some absolutely impacted, some practices were impacted by these other by these other options, but the main ones for dental specific is really going to be the collections. Yeah, that's where we put the caution up because, you know, Tara, you mentioned, you know, you've seen the advertisers, you know, are, are these advertisers, are they CPAs or what are they typically, what's going on there? So a lot of them aren't CPAs, but unfortunately, some of them are CPAs and they're still charging that, that 
contingent fee. And that's, you know, a red flag right there, because if they're also amending your return and filing it for you, CPAs can't accept contingent fees for- So let me break that into two here real quick. So let's talk about the CPAs first. So you're saying there are CPAs out there that you've seen that have taken a contingent fee. And that's true. And just to give them the benefit of the doubt, they may not be aware that they're unable to take a contingent fee just because they're seeing these other just random shops popping up and offering it. They're saying, oh, maybe I can do that too. But well, you're a little bit nicer than yeah, I am because yeah. if you're a CPA, you should know you can't file returns mm-hmm. to the IRS on a percentage of it. You can only do it on an hourly basis. Mm-hmm. So I did a, quite a few of these and some of them I just felt bad because people were trying to get them calculated. And I said, we don't really do that type of work here. But, you know, the shop wants 30 percent. I sit there and go, that's insane. It's going to take me, you know, this many hours. It's going to be this much an hour. And that's it. We're going to get it done for a couple grand of just work. And, you know, we're going to hand it to you on a silver platter. But, you know, like I had a practice that actually qualified. They were going to get like $80,000. <laughs> it's like, hey, I, I certainly want to get paid for my work of calculating it for you. But man, you know, 30% of it. I, I don't need to take $20,000 for doing four hours of work for you. I just do four hours of work for you and you pay me for my time and we'll move on. But that one's a, a big red flag because, yeah, the they really can't. If you're practicing in front of the IRS, you are not allowed to take a contingency fee or a percentage on amending returns to get a credit. So we've seen more and more of that lately and that's disappointing. But Talk to me about these other ones. So the non-CPAs, who are they? What are they up to? And what's going on with them? I mean, if if we're going to be a little more aggressive, honestly, they're 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 fraudsters. Really, they they found a loophole that that not every practice, not every company fits into, and they're pushing, you know, misleading information, and they're taking a cut. So they're they're what as you mentioned, you've calculated a few of these ERCs, and you're not. I don't think I've ever seen you calculate an ERC above $200,000, but I've heard small practices getting, you know, $300,000 of an ERC credit where there's a contingent fee on that. And so they're already giving away 30% of this credit. And now with all this IRS guidance and IRS, you know, finally shutting down claims and and auditing claims, where's that 30% going to come from? No, absolutely. I'm sitting here. We have the paperwork in front of us. And, you know, I don't know. I can't find it real quick. But the IRS has been warning people. I I like the word fraudsters. They have been warning people that these they call them scammers Mm -hmm. and promoters, that they're scamming people and they're not CPAs and they don't actually file the returns. They kind of give the package and they take 30 percent to do it. And, you know, they don't do more than I mean, I've done some complicated ones and I actually do the calculations and it doesn't take me more than four hours. Even with, you know, when I go in, you have to look and say, all right, what wages were used on the PPP loan? And I have to separate them out week by week. It still doesn't take me more than four hours to do a complicated one. And these people sometimes are taking, you know, thirty, sixty thousand dollars to do and they ain't even doing calculations. They're just they're just taking a <laughs> they're flat just number. Saying, look, you got 10 employees, you can yeah. take twenty six thousand dollars per employee and yeah, it's just fraud. So, so I, I don't know if, you know, you you haven't been working in the tax as long and be frank, neither of us are probably old enough to know all the scams out there. But these promoters, they, they've had different scams throughout the years that we've covered here. You know, they're abusing the research and development tax credit. They're abusing the conservation easements. They abuse captive insurance. And this is just another abuse. And what's really different here that I want to highlight is People have taken the IRS's lack of enforcing things over the last year. I wouldn't say last year or last 30 years. The IRS has been grossly underfunded, and they think a lack of enforcement equals legality, and it doesn't. What's different this time is the $80 billion that the IRS has, the 87,000 agents that they're hiring. That's what's different this time. And a lot of people are upset. They're scared. A lot of politics have been played about this 87,000 agents. And, you know, I don't really care who you want to vote for, what your politics are. But believe it or not, both the current president and the most recent one both wanted to fund the IRS more. This is not as partisan of an issue as they want to make it out to be on TV. People have been just getting away with blatant tax fraud for too long in this country. And that's what's different this time is 
they got all these agents. This is their number one priority right now. I'm not messing with this. So, you know, right now they've already sent 20,000 denial letters in December. And those (laughs) denial letters they sent, they were just the low-hanging fruit. They were the people that either didn't have a business, didn't have employees. I mean, it's just straight fraud. Yeah, (laughs) this just the worst of the worst. They sent those out, claim the disclaim those right away. And those are for only the ones that they had backlogged. So they're still auditing the ones that they may have already approved without this intense scrutiny that they're still going to be searching for. Yeah. And they're saying that there's going to be up to 20,000 letters with proposed adjustments that are about to come out. So what that means is there's 20,000 more that they have deemed do not qualify. And this is just 2020 that they don't think you actually qualify for this tax credit and they are going to send you an adjustment letter. And then, of course, we haven't even really gotten into 2021 yet, which 2021, it was a record year for dentistry. So there's a lot of dentists that are going to have a lot of trouble, Mm -hmm. you know, in 2021. The IRS is likely to pull most of these and send letters out on them because if you were a dentist in 2021 and you filed tax returns, so they know what your collections were. (laughs) And if your collections in 2021 were more than 2020 and 2019, which is truth for most dental practices, they aren't going to be having it with you claiming $21,000 per employee in 2021 for this. So this is going to be probably the most audited tax credit of all time. It's probably the biggest tax fraud that's gone on of all time. I can't necessarily pin down that one, but it's just gotten to a level of insanity and the IRS and Congress, everybody's fed up with it. And it's there's going to be an end put to it now. There is a chance if you filed one of these and you don't qualify that you slip through the cracks. Don't get me wrong, but you're you're playing with fire here if you didn't actually qualify and you claimed one of these. So you're essentially pl- pe- playing the audit lottery. And if you want to take that, you want to gamble and play that game, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't recommend it, honestly. Yeah. So just as a recap here, so everybody knows kind of, hey, if you qualified based off of this reduction in collections then you absolutely do qualify. Mm -hmm. Or if you didn't apply for this credit and you had the reduction in collections to qualify, fantastic. You should absolutely take advantage of this credit. Talk with your CPA. We want to make sure we file it. We are in no means against taking tax credits that you are legally allowed to take. What we're against here and what we're trying to preach is, hey, the promoters have gotten a lot of people do things they shouldn't have and the irs scrutiny is going to come on it yeah appreciate Um, you clarifying that we we want you to get your money that you deserve it's just sometimes there there's these inflated values that aren't aren't realistic and accurate yeah so tyler i had you do a lot of this research here to figure out what we can do so a little bit of a, a back history before we get into you know what do we do if hey a promoter company called me and you know I took it I got a $216,000 you know ERC and I don't think I really qualified based off what you told me Wes they told me that if my business was impacted I qualified but I failed the collections test you know what what can you do and What's been going on is the IRS has been issuing warnings about these promoters. I mean, probably for, I don't know, a couple of years now. I mean, they've been pretty hard on it. They haven't had ability to do much about it, but they've certainly been warning about these promoters for quite some time. And the IRS, you know, fortunately for the taxpayers, kind of taken a stance, talking to CPAs, other people, they've taken the stance that most of the taxpayers that did this did not willingly commit tax fraud. They were conned into committing mm-hmm. tax fraud. So th- that's a fortunate stance we're getting because it could have been much harsher. And the IRS, what they're really trying to do is they want to go after the promoters. You know, these promoters, they're typically the same people. <laughs> like They'll do the R&D tax credit scam. You know, they go from scam to scam to scam and they close up shops, set up somewhere else. You know, they're they're trying to get to the heart of who's causing the problems here. So with that, they've come up with two different programs that, you know, you can participate in depending on your situation. So Tyler, I'm going to start asking you questions here since you're the expert on it, but, you know, give everybody a, a brief synopsis, Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong. I think everyone's basically in two categories. You've either deposited the check and you've been processed 
or it either hasn't been processed yet, you haven't been paid. But those are our main two categories, right? That's right. And depending on which category, we have IRS recommendations on how to handle it. So if you're in that first category, if you either have the check and haven't deposited it or your claim is still pending, you're going to be in the withdrawal process where you withdraw your claim. Alternatively, if you have received your check and you have deposited it, you will be in the voluntary disclosure program. And depending, and each program is different. And the IRS, finally, we, I know we, we, provi- we, we preach caution on these ERC and we said the IRS is going to give us guidance pretty, pretty soon. And we just didn't know when, but then, you know, October and December came around. We finally have guidance on these two programs. We're going to give you a little more information on on what each entails and, and the process and steps surrounding each of them. Awesome. And just one more last caveat one more time. So nobody that filed this and got a, one they were legally entitled to. If you were legally entitled to this because your business was actually shut down and you only took it for the period you were shut down or you did have collections meeting one of those thresholds. We are not encouraging you to withdraw or, you know, go try to get a refund or change anything if you filed a correct claim. Mm -hmm. If on the other hand, you had one of those promoters or you filed one that is pretty ridiculous in the nature and you're not certain about it, we are absolutely encouraging you to talk to your CPA. That'd be first thing. Talk to your CPA. If you don't have anyone to talk to, absolutely give us a call here at the McGill and Hill Group, and we'll be happy to talk with you, tell you what we think, and try to guide you. We just want you to know we're here for you. We want you to get every dollar you're entitled to, and we don't want you in an IRS audit that you can't survive. Yeah, we really just want you to have the best information talk to your CPA, talk to a tax professional. As I mentioned before, a lot of these shops have don't do anything tax related in in at their job. They don't know any of the the tax code. They they don't know what the IRS is. And we really just want to make sure that you're aware, you speak with someone that's knowledgeable on the situation, make sure that you understand your situation, did you qualify and check the next steps accordingly depending upon. Yeah, and really I always encourage people, there are some CPAs out there who have crossed a line I can't say I'm proud about for the CPA community, but most of the CPAs have stuck to the guns. We all came to the same conclusion, or at least 95% of us did. So talk to your CPA first. It's absolutely something, you know, you can share this webinar with your CPA and, you know, tell them, hey, I, I think I did something wrong, especially if you haven't told your CPA that one of these tax shops sent you this yet. But usually your CPA is going to be there to help and guide you. If your CPA did take a contingent fee for filing this, that's kind of a red flag. And you should probably give us a call and try to figure out what you need to do because they already broke one thing. As most CPAs, you know, we're we're bound by ethical code. In order to keep our CPA license, we we need to always do what's right, what's legal, and we absolutely can't take contingent fees, which is absurd. So most of the CPAs you meet, they're relatively going to be on the same page and be there to help you. And they've really been against the promoters for quite some time here. But for those of you that did end up in the promoters, you know, we, we really want to be here to help you and, you know, help you figure this out. So hopefully this Remaining half of the webinar really shines some light on what your options are right now. So Tyler, I want to start with the withdrawal process. And this is available to everybody that has not deposited their funds. So if you have deposited the money, already received it in the checking account, we're going to get to you. But this portion of it isn't going to actually qualify for you. So Tyler, who can participate in. They didn't give this as official of a name, but it's a voluntary withdrawal process. Who can? As you mentioned, withdrawal process is going to be, you know, you have your claim that hasn't been processed or you received the check and you haven't deposited it. And, you know, why you would want to go through this is you avoid any repayment on ERCs. You already have that check there or you don't have the check and you're not forced to give that check back. You avoid any interest or penalties on on a on an incorrect or inaccurate or f- in worst case fraudulent fraudulent ERC. And Tyler, I know we're gonna we're gonna cover the penalties in depth at the end. We're actually gonna run through an example. We're gonna show everybody the numbers why we're recommending you do this. But just real quick, Tyler, what are we expecting penalty wise to get applied? I think we're looking at an accuracy penalty of about looking at in the range of about twenty percent. 
we're going to go with the IRS not going the criminal route and, and proposing jail time, but you're looking at probably a, a failure to, to file and a, and a accuracy penalty in the range of about 20%. Yeah. So the, the accuracy related penalty is a flat 20%. And there's a whole list. I mean, I think I was reading it. The IRS listed like seven or eight portions of the tax code. And our opinion is they'll go after the accuracy related one, as Tyler mentioned, at 20%. But then you're going to have interest on that too. And mm-hmm. that interest might stack up on you. So make sure you pay attention to the end though. When we go through an example, but just want to tell, give everybody an idea as Tyler's telling you, you know, you might have a penalty, what that penalty is going to be. All right. So do you qualify? Well, the way you know if you qualify is if you filed an adjusted employment returns, any of these forms, you know, 941, 943, 944X, and you filed it only to claim the ERC. If you filed an adjusted return and you had other adjustments in there, and to get that back, you'll need it. This would be pretty odd, too, yeah. I think, as we're going through that. Just so you know, if you're wondering, hey, did I file an adjusted mm-hmm. employee or a 941 payroll tax return? Possibly, but <laughs> odd. Yeah. It wouldn't, most of you, if you're thinking, I don't know if I did that or not, you probably didn't. And again, that's where we say talk to your CPA, talk to a tax professional, get more clarity on your specific situation. To qualify, you need to withdraw your entire amount of your ERC claim. You don't get to keep some of that claim in there. It's the whole lot of it. And again, this is where you're concerned with the legality or the accuracy of your claim. So we want to we want to withdraw the whole amount. And again, the IRS can't have paid you a refund check and it can't have been cashed or deposited. So that's kind of goes over who qualifies for the withdrawal process in the IRS legal language. So you can have the check, but you can't have deposited it. Is that right? Exactly. Perfect. And I think we're going to go through each of these scenarios since Tyler, it sounds like (laughs) you could not have been processed. You could have been processed, have the check. You could have been processed and not have the check, right? We got a couple different scenarios. So let's, I think it depends on those right there. So Tyler, what are the three things it's going to depend on? Exactly. You haven't received a refund and you haven't been notified you're under an audit. You haven't received a refund and you have been notified you're you're being audited. Or you have received your refund check, but you haven't cashed or deposited it. And with this withdrawal process, you need to do it for each tax period that you that you submitted for a for a credit. So twenty, if you did twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, you're going to be needing submitting withdrawal for both of those periods. Yeah. So I I don't know if I found the exact answer there, but I'm thinking you can withdraw your claim on a quarter by quarter basis. So let's say, you know, twenty twenty, you think that you actually deserved it. You were down 50%, which plenty of practices were. It's not super, super common, but you know, being shut down six, eight weeks, a lot of practices did go down 50%. But then in 2021, you didn't qualify and you figured that out. So you can go in and basically submit it for the three quarters of 2021 in which you want to take away the whole claim. Is that right? I, that's that's right. That's right. I don't know if I got as much clarity on the withdrawal process reading over this as I did the other one, but that would be my recommendation. If you think one's correct and three are incorrect, I'd go ahead and withdraw the three that are incorrect and keep the claim for the one that is correct. Absolutely. Now we're going to go through each of these to show you exactly what you need to do. But I think the first thing before we do it is you know, I don't know that I'd want to have this be a do-it-yourself method thing. I'd probably call your CPA up and, you know, let the CPA handle it. But Tyler, I want to start with, so we didn't receive the refund yet. So it's either processed and no refund there, or it's in all likelihood it's not processed. And we haven't been notified that we're under audit because I think, Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can be under audit and still withdraw the claim as long as it hasn't been paid, right? Absolutely. Okay, so that's key, though, because if it has been paid and you've deposited the check and you're under audit, I think we're going to have to go a different route. But, you know, if you have not received the refund and you're not under audit, Tyler, walk me through what you're going to do here. Today's episode is brought to you by the McGill Advisor. The McGill Advisor is your resource to reaching your financial goals faster with greater confidence and less stress. Members will receive our monthly newsletter delivered to their door, containing all the latest and greatest tips as it relates to taxes, practice management, and achieving financial independence. 
Membership also includes access to our online portal, including archived articles, webinars with available CE credits, discounts on educational seminars, and much more. Use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your first year subscription. So first thing you want to do is you're going to make a copy of your adjusted return, and this is the, the claim that you want to withdraw. And in that left margin on that first page, you're going to write withdrawn. And we're going to give you an example of what this all looks like in a few slides. Uh, we'll skip to it here real quick. <laughs> so, so on the left side here, you're going to write withdrawn. And on the right side, you're going to put the authorized user's name and title, as well as their signature and the date. This is going to go over that. That's the step on, on your amended return there. Um, that co- this covers all these three billets here. And then what you're going to do is you're going to fax a copy of your return to the ERC claim, IRS ERC claim withdrawal fax line at the phone number here, 855-738-7609. Now, they prefer fax, but if you can't fax it, either through your computer or mobile or a fax machine, you can mail it, but it will take longer to process. So they, the IRS recommends faxing. And then after all this is done, you want to keep a copy for your tax records. Yeah, absolutely. And we definitely always recommend keeping a copy. And, you know, this isn't required, but I would put a cover letter on it too. Put a cover letter on it explaining why you're withdrawing it. So, you know, if you were scammed by a promoter, you just, you know, write on the cover letter that, you know, hey, I promotion company, mm-hmm. you know, came to me. I thought I qualified. Since then, I figured out I haven't and I wish to withdraw the claim. And it's always best to let the CPA do that. I remember uh, back in the day when I was interning in Roanoke for a CPA financial advisory shop. That was my job all summer was the IRS letters and responding to them. And, you know, I found that as long as you're not doing anything illegal, a lot of the times if you put an explanation letter and make it right, you know, it goes away and they file it. I'm not going to say I like the IRS, but I found when I've done those letters and attached everything with the leather that needs to go so they have the documentation, it gets solved pretty quickly. So if you can get the CPA to do that, you know, I think you'll be in good shape here. Now, so haven't received the refund and are under audit or have been notified that you're audited. So yeah, you can you can be under audit, Tyler, and you can still withdraw the claim and try to get rid of the audit. Exactly. And you, the, the process is going to be very similar. You're going to do the same thing where you are withdrawn on the left side, name, title, signature, and date on the right side of the first page. And then you're not going to fax or email because if you're under audit, you've already been contacted. And if you've been contacted, you may have been assigned an examiner. And if you have, you want to communicate with them and you'll they'll tell you the best way to submit the withdrawal request directly to them. On the other hand, you may not be fully into the audit process and haven't been assigned an examiner. And what you want to do is you want to respond to the audit notice with your withdrawal request. And that's going to be your process if you are under audit and you haven't received a refund. Yeah. And if you do this, you're going to avoid the penalty and interest. And if you are under audit, well, I'll say there's a high likelihood you're getting caught. Yeah. (laughs) So if you are under audit, definitely something to talk to your CPA about and see if we can't withdraw this. Yeah. And you're not paying anything here. This is essentially what this is, what this withdrawal process is, is essentially saying, uh, you send in the ERC and you say, oh, actually, just forgot I sent it in. I never sent it in in the first place. So you, you're not going to get in trouble. You kind of get free and clear on that. Well, perfect. Well, that seems pretty straightforward then. If you're under audit, that's, you're number one on the list to take our advice today. <laughs> exactly. And then this last one. So if you received the refund, but you didn't deposit the check, they're going to let you withdraw. Is that right? Exactly. You can withdraw it. You just need to have another step in the process. So again, you're going to fill out that, you're going to write withdrawn, you're going to put your name and sign it, and then you're going to find that check. Again, it hasn't been deposited. You have that check on you. You're going to write void on the back in the endorsement line, and you're going to write your note. And your note is going to say ERC withdrawn. You're going to give a reason. And, And as Wes mentioned, you say, fraudulent marketing, misleading marketing from from a company that reached out to me. I believe my ERC submission is inaccurate and I want to withdraw it. So you have your your note and your reason why. And again, make tax or make make copies of all of this to make sure you have your records. And then you're gonna mail the voided check and the withdrawal request to the IRS at now, the Tyler, are we here. going snail mail or are we going certified mail? <laughs> certified mail. Absolutely. I made that mistake when I was younger. They still have an amended return of mine they haven't processed and I can't prove they got it, even though I know they did. 
Yeah, and, any important document, mailing, certified mail, tracking it, being aware when it's delivered. You want photocopies of everything in there, you know, the and the certified mail. That way you know they got it. And if they lose it somehow, you at least have photocopies and you can send it and say, hey, look, it was delivered. Here's when it was delivered. But yeah, it's it's best, again, if you do this one, get the CPA involved. But, you know, if you haven't deposited that check yet and you've got this opportunity, highly recommend if you think yours is fraudulent that you go ahead and do this. Yeah, I think I want to add a step one to all these steps that I've gone over. Step one is contact your CPA attack professional and then we'll make sure that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And if your CPA is one of the ones that did a contingent fee and you just need somebody to talk to, just call up here, get on one of our calendars. We'll be happy to walk you through it and you know, see what's going on. But that I think is those are our three scenarios for the withdrawal process, right? Yep. So wrap up, we've got hasn't been processed or you haven't received it. In that case, you use the fax line, right? That's right. The second one is if you're under audit, you just same process, but you're going straight to the examiner, respond to the audit notice. Exactly. And then this last one, if you do have the check, a little bit more complicated, but you certified send it back mail. void, yeah. certified mail. Uh, and if you do this, you're not going to have any interest penalties, nothing of the sort. It's just going to go away. And that's probably the best you can ask for if you did file one of these large ones. So to put it into context, too, I think this was supposed to cost like $85 billion when it first came out. Maybe I'm going off the top of my head, but I want to say it was like $55 billion. And then they expanded it into 2021. It got up to like $85 billion expected cost. And at the point the IRS stopped processing new claims, I think they'd already had like $2 trillion of claims filed. It was excessive. So, yeah, it's it's been excessive. And we know many dentists got caught up in it. But once you do that, I, I think, Tyler, the IRS is going to communicate with you, right? Exactly. They're going to tell you if you're accepted or rejected, be able to withdraw it. And if it's accepted, you may need to amend your income tax return. Yeah, so I think it's highly unlikely that if you submit with the withdrawal process that you're going to be rejected. <laughs> I I agree. Yeah. So there's a high likelihood as long as you know you didn't have anything else to amend, it's going to be accepted. Now, this part about amending your income tax return is crucial here. So I think a lot of people didn't realize, and we're going to go over in the example that if you got the employee retention tax credit, let's say you got a $200,000 check, you had to reduce your wages on your income tax return by $200,000. So depending on where you are in the process, you really need to work with your CPA and see if those returns were amended already. Because if you're going to give back the money, but you amended the returns, and when you amended them, you said, just for example, I got a $200,000 tax credit and I had 500000 of wages. So you would have had to go on and amend your return to exclude that 200000 that the government paid for. So you would have only taken a deduction of 300000 At a 40% tax rate, that's going to be $80,000 in tax. So if you're going to pay back the ERC, you need to go make sure all your wages are on your tax Mm -hmm. return. And your CPA can help you with that one. Perfect. Um, But we're going to get into that a little bit later, too. We talk about the numbers and how bad this could get. So make sure... If the next part of it doesn't qualify for you, make sure you skip and get to the end of it where we go through an example here. And then, Tyler, the last thing is the third-party claim filers. Now, the third-party claim filers, they're going to be professional employment organizations, things of that nature. It's going to be, you know, who filed these amended returns. So depending on who filed them, you know, it's going to depend on who needs to submit the request. Most people are going to be able to submit the request for themselves. They might need to get the payroll company involved. But if you have a PEO, professional employment organization, then they're going to have to file. And the main thing you're going to know about that one, again, talk to your CPAs, whether or not they're filing payroll tax reports under their EIN or your EIN. Some people have a leasing arrangement with an employment company. They're less and less common today, but they are still out there. If you have that arrangement, you're going to need to go through that third-party claim filer. Now, Tyler, this is the most recent one that came out. I think we got a early Christmas present. <laughs> the IRS giving us a whole bunch of paperwork to dig through. 
Absolutely. And this is the voluntary disclosure program. Again, this is for those that have received the check and deposited it. What is the way to ensure that there's no penalties on that credit? So this is for, you know, employees that to make sure that there's no tax liabilities and avoids any, you know, lawsuits, litigation, penalties and interest on on the credit or refund they received. And just so we know, to be clear, that is civil only. Now, I think it would be highly unlikely that the IRS would go after the taxpayer for criminal, but the promoters are in a whole different boat. So if you go talk to the promoter, they don't want you self-reporting this because they're the ones the IRS is going to go after criminally. But I think, Tyler, we got till March 22nd. Yeah, right. mark mark this on your calendar. Set a big red red alert. You want to if you're going to be qualifying for this and want to take this path, got to get it in before March twenty second, twenty twenty four. And one last time, just for those of you that already received the check and deposited the check. So let's run through what the requirements here are, Tyler. So am I reading this right? The IRS is actually going to let you keep 20% of it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you're paying back 80, but you do keep 20. That's better than nothing for sure. That's And I think if I'm not mistaken, I think the IRS's justification was the promoters likely took 20% of it. So they're trying to make the taxpayer whole. Is that right? Uh, that's a good assumption there. Exactly. They're not trying to, again, the IRS is not trying to punish just unfortunately, people that were taken advantage of, and they just want to make sure that the the fraud is is eliminated and stopped. So this second one up here, you're going to have to cooperate. So that that's a big one there. So what does that mean, Tyler? That means if the IRS reaches out for anything additional from you and they want to find, you know, what company submitted something for you or what company you worked with, you need to be willing to answer any of the requests and information that they're looking for and provide the, provide that information to them. Yeah. So basically, you don't have to give up the promoter. Or if your CPA did it on a contingent fee, you're going to have to give up the CPA. It's best if you, your CPA did do it off a contingent fee, it would probably be best that they submitted it and claimed they were relying on some other third party. But that's going to be a, a tough one. But as we go through at the end and we get to all the punishment of what could happen if you don't do this, it's probably going to become apparent. You really need to look out for yourself on this one. And then they're going to send you a closing agreement, right? Yep. They're going to send you a closing agreement, you know, detailing the whole process. You got to pay, pay the, pay the 80% back and then you're going to sign it. And that's going to be the end of it really. Yeah. So that's going to be phenomenal. I think if you do this and they approve it and you sign it, they are not going to audit your payroll tax returns or your ERC is going to put this to bed. And obviously you get to keep 20% of it, but what are the other benefits here that we've got? Again, to sit, you don't have to pay any of the interest that you received on it. You're not going to have to amend any income tax returns. You're not going to have to reduce your wage expense. And that 20% reduction is not going to be taxable as income. So that's a big one right there. I know we covered it in the withdrawal process, but you're you're telling me that you know, let's just say I went back and I amended my 2021 tax return. I took 200000 off. I'm going to be able to go back there and put the 200000 back on? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and then some of you too, you probably didn't tell. Let's say I got this refund check and I didn't tell the CPA about it because I knew my CPA was going to be upset. <laughs> yeah. If I did that and my 2021 return has not been amended yet, that means I don't have to go back and amend it, right? I keep that whole thing. That's right. That's right. Perfect. Well, we're going to cover that in detail when we actually run through numbers and show everybody. But this is a a pretty good offer, it seems like to me. You're going to get to keep 20% of it. That 20% is not going to be taxable income. And you're not going to have to worry about getting audited. Yeah, that's most important. It keeps you in the clear on the right side of the IRS and not going to have any of these penalties or punishments. And then no penalties. So that's going to be a big one. As we mentioned before, we think the IRS is likely to go after accuracy penalties. We we don't believe that they're going to try to do criminal, but we will talk a little bit about what would happen if they did. But we just want to be very open with everyone. We think they'll go after an accuracy related penalty. We don't think they're going to go after criminal for taxpayers here, but Now, eligibility for this, Tyler, this is a little bit different. So walk me through, if I already cashed the check, what what are my eligibility requirements? Yeah, so you're going to be eligible if you you received a check and you've deposited it, and now you think that your ERC was inaccurate, you may be entitled to zero on a per quarter basis. So it has to be zero. If I 
let's just say I did mine and now I think I only qualify for a little bit and I want to change it. I can't do this. That's right. That's yeah, right. So it's got to be just for zero. So in all likelihood, it sounds like most people in 2021, this is going to apply. Exactly. 2020 might be a little bit different, but for 2021, most people are going to qualify for zero. So, okay. Well, that's, that seems pretty easy though. What else do they need to be aware of? So these other ones are pretty, pretty obvious. I would think is un- you're ideally not under audit. So if you've received your check and you are under audit, you're not going to be able for a, a eligible for this process. Now, I think if I recall right, that's just an employment tax audit, right? So if you're under audit for a different manner, I think you can still participate in this. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you're under audit for your employee retention credit, the answer is no. Is that what I'm getting? Exactly. It's for the, it's for what, if they're auditing your claim, you're not going to be eligible for this, for this program. Okay. Now let's just say hypothetically, we don't know the answer to this one, but you know, if I was under audit for my employee retention credit and this had come out, do you think, you know, I, I didn't see anything in there, but you think it'd probably be a good idea to just contact the auditor and see if they'll still let you take this? I, I would reach out to him. It can't. What's the worst case scenario? They say no. Yeah, yeah, it can't hurt. They might say no, but definitely something. I think being honest, and then I think we had another couple funny ones. You can't be under criminal investigation by the IRS, right? <laughs> pretty pretty self explanatory. Can't so be under criminal if, investigation. If you got a pending tax fraud case going on, you ain't going to be allowed to do this. But most people shouldn't be under criminal investigation, and that's the key distinction. If you're under audit, it's not a big deal. If you know you got a 2019 return or a 2022 return get audited for something else, or you got randomly audited, it doesn't prohibit you from doing it but if it's criminal it does and this last one though the irs hasn't notified you or reversed it so basically if the irs caught you already you're toast right exactly exactly so it's got to be done before before that happens so and that's why i think we're trying to get this out there so early is look if you wait for the irs to get to you and they get to you before you get to them you're toast. Yeah, you get you lose a hundred plus penalties versus here you're really only paying back eighty. You keep twenty with no penalties and interest. Yeah, so our recommendation is to take advantage of this and make sure you know. Hey, if I filed them and I don't qualify, try to take advantage of this as quickly as you can because this is a sweetheart deal, letting you keep twenty percent of it and not making you pay a penalty or interest. Uh, so walk me through, you know, I've put some steps to apply. Number one, again, call your CPA and get them to do it for you. But let's just say I am going to do this myself or, you know, we typically have some CPAs listening, you know, walk me through what you need to do. Yep. So first thing you're going to do is you have to prepare a few forms. First form everybody's going to prepare is form 15434, which is the application for employee retention credit voluntary disclosure program. Depending upon specific circumstances, you may need to file form SS10. So for both of these forms, you'll need to sign the application and if applicable, that SS10 form. And then you need to submit the application to the IRS document upload tool by 11.59 p.m. on March 22nd, 2024. And I think that SS10, that only applies if you're doing it for tax periods in 2020. So for That's those right. of you in 2021, you don't need to do that form. And I think there's also a power of attorney form if you want your CPA to do it, but pretty straightforward. And that document upload tool. So basically, instead of faxing this or submitting it, you're going to actually submit this online, aren't you? Exactly. And I'm surprised they didn't do that for the withdrawal process. That would have been easier, but uh, <laughs> at least they're they're getting with the times for the for the disclosure program. Now, something to note. When you apply this, it's a little in the minutia, but if you're going to do this, my recommendation is you pay when you submit and you have to pay on a quarter by quarter basis. You can't do one payment. You have to do one individual payment per quarter and you have to do it through the online payment portal. And it can take, you know, five days to process if you're not on the online payment portal. But I recommend you pay at the same time because once this is approved, the interest will start. So there's no interest if you pay at the same time, but they will start charging interest at some point. So it's just easier if you're going to do it to go ahead, just make the payment when you submit it, get everything done up at the same time. And then Tyler, walk me through what happens next if I go to apply for it. So obviously the IRS is going to review it, let you know if you're eligible. 
and you'll receive a letter letting them know, letting you know that you have received the application as well as if it was, if it's approved or rejected. Perfect. And then one other small thing in the minutiae, I think if you don't have the money, you can apply for a payment plan. It's, they're going to want some pretty stringent documentation to apply for that payment plan, and you're definitely going to need your CPA's assistance to do it. But you can apply for a payment plan. There is no standard payment plan here, though. It's going to be reviewed on a case-by-case basis. So if you got 400000 in the bank and you're trying to get away with not paying them the 200000 up front, they're going to say no. So hopefully most people have the money sitting there. And so if you're approved, the IRS is going to mail you their closing agreement. Ideally, you pay the full amount up front. Wes mentioned there are installment agreements that you can look into uh, if you can't do it. But again, it's going to be case by case, pretty stringent on, on if they accept that or not. You will have to sign that closing agreement and form 433D if applicable, if you're doing an installment plan, and then return the form to the IRS within 10 days. So be on the lookout for it. If you get it, sign it, send it back and know that, you know, hey, it, it won't be there. But you know, that's a quick wrap on what to do. Now, we want to talk about the financial ramifications here, and we're going to try to keep it to an hour. We might go a little over, but this is important information for everyone to have. So I mentioned this amended wage amounts a couple times. And what it is, if if you take the employee retention credit, the wages must be reduced by the amount of ERC for the applicable period. So for 2021, you know, if you got 200000 you have to reduce your wage expense, increasing your income by that amount. And that means you have to go back and amend those returns. So if you've received this money or you've processed whatever, but you haven't gone back and amended the corporate and individual tax returns yet, if you follow one of these steps, there's no need to amend them. If the tax returns have been amended, your CPA will need to go back and amend them again in order to receive a tax deduction for those wages paid. So this is a very, very crucial step as we're going to go over. There's a lot of tax money involved in this, and we don't know exactly how the IRS will handle this, and that's what we're worried about. So you have three years from the filing date or the date it was filed, whichever one was later. So if you filed an amended, it's going to be that extended return date. But you've got three years to amend the return. And let's say the IRS doesn't audit you until later. And all of a sudden, you lose the ERC, but you also lost the wage deduction. We don't know if the IRS will make an exception and let you go back. And my guess is they're going to say no, because you want it take advantage of the voluntary disclosure program. So we don't want you to lose everything and we'll run through how that'll work in the example. And then again, for both of these, the third party claim filers, if you used a third party payer, you know, you can't apply yourself. If you have a professional employment organization, they go over a couple different names, but Basically, if your 941s are not filed in your own tax ID number, then you're going to need to go through your third-party payer to apply for all of these. Now, these expected penalties, we've mentioned a couple times. We think they're going to save the criminal penalties for the promoters. We don't want anyone thinking they're going to go to jail here. We expect they're going to put the 20% accuracy-related penalty plus the interest. That interest rate va- interest rate varies quarterly on how they're going to apply it. The current rates, I think, are 10% for the corporate underpayment, and they're varying between 8 and 10, but I think it's like 5, 8, 10. So that rate's going to change on a quarter-by-quarter basis. But those rates are getting up there. I don't want to be paying 10% a year on this money. It's going to it's going pile up in a hurry. And the interest does get charged, interest accrues, and the interest does get charged on the penalty. So if the penalty gets calculated 20%, you know, you're know you going to find yourself in trouble in a hurry. Yeah, th- compounding there. Yeah. Now, I call these potential ERC penalties. I think it's unlikely that they would go after this for you know a dentist, but they they did put this in their information. So If you haven't, if you don't participate, you're going to risk the penalties and criminal investigation prosecution. I don't think they would succeed on this, but I want to come back to that because they are threatening tax evasion or filing false returns. Tax evasion is up to five years in prison, filing a false return up to three years in prison with a penalty of up to, or a fine, not a penalty, a fine of up to $250,000. Again, I don't think that necessarily holds up. And there are some fraud 
you know, penalty amounts. If you filed a fraudulent return, you can get a penalty of up to 75% of that amount. Again, I don't think they're going to go that route. And I do believe the taxpayers would win on the fraud. You know, they're, they're going to hold you to the level that they're supposed to. The CPAs that, you know, the promoters, they're going to get held to a higher level. But they, they are threatening this. And what I want people to know is I, I'm not scared. You're not going to go to jail. But if the IRS got mad and put one of these penalties on you or threatened it, you're going to rack up a hefty legal bill to defend yourself. So again, I think it's unlikely anyone ends up in this second boat of potential ERC penalties. But if you do, be prepared to pay the 20% accuracy, all the interest penalties there and the legal bill. And that's going to be one ugly day when you figure out how much it's going to cost you to get an attorney. Yeah, and that's why we recommend doing these processes, the withdrawal or the voluntary disclosure, uh, and just avoid all of this headache. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to run through an example here of you know what could have gone on with these promoter shops. So we're going to have a two-doctor practice, and Tyler, I think if we're a GP, we do about six employees per doctor, right? That's right. So we're assuming we're properly employed. This amount could go up if we are overstaffed, but Let's say if we had 12 employees and we got 26000 per employee, we're going to get $312,000 of employee retention credit that was received and deposited. Now, if the IRS comes and all that, we want to figure out, what am I going to owe? Well, I'm going to owe $312,000 because that was the credit. I'm going to owe 20% on an accuracy-related penalty, which is going to be 62400 I went through and I estimated the interest, and this is a little bit tougher to quantify because we don't know when the IRS is going to come up, when it's going to come up, and the interest continues to accrue. So I went and I made some assumptions in there that you know it'd be about mid-year and calculated the interest rates per quarter, and I just roughhoused it on the lower side a little bit. But again, this would solely depend on when the audit happened, when you had to pay it back, how long it took. But we're going to say about $90,000 in interest on both these things. So our total estimated payback would be about $464,400 on a $312,000 tax credit. That's a that's a hit to the to the bank account there. Yeah, now this isn't as bad as it could get and that's what we really want to point out to people while I was talking about these amended returns. So let's say the IRS comes at you but you missed the deadline to go back and amend this corporate return. So you had amended it in order to be street legal on taking this tax credit. You went and amended it, took the $312,000 of wages off. The IRS comes to audit you over the employee retention credit. They don't allow it, but your time is passed to go back and amend that return. And they decide that they're not going to let people amend those returns because they tried to hide from them. Well, caution in the wind here, because this is going to get ugly in a hurry. So at a 40% tax rate, that would be $124,800 of overpaid income taxes. So, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe the IRS makes an exception. Maybe they don't. But, you know, if you end up not only doing that, but you're overpaying by 125000 almost in income taxes as well, that total burn is going to end up being $589,200. So for those of you that got differing credit amounts, I wanted to put a percentage up there just so you could figure out what it came up to. So this one, total potential damage, and we lowballed the interest. You know, if this thing goes out another year, you can add another 10% on the interest. So you can throw another 50 easily, another two years, and you're going to have another 100000 or more. But it's going to be the original credit plus about 88% in lost taxes, interest, and penalties. And like I said, it could be higher. So your total potential damage here is just getting wild. <laughs> it's a big amount. And the IRS is offering you a freebie, payback 80% of it type of deal. Because, you know, you can always go back and try to get your money back from the promoters. But I think the IRS is coming to the conclusion that you probably ain't going to have a easy time doing that. So <laughs> in summary, you know, if you have a questionable or fraudulent return, Tyler, we're recommended that you take advantage of one of these programs, right? Absolutely. We don't want to don't want to risk it. Don't want those penalties. Don't want the the lost taxes and income taxes there. Definitely take advantage of if whatever situation applies to you. And again, only if you are led to believe that your ERC is 
miscalculated, fraudulent, or inaccurate. Again, a lot of you have properly filed ERC credits. We're not telling you to withdraw those. It's really if you meet with your CPA or you, you know, you can't track down that, that, that provider that reached out to you one day, you may need to look into this. Yeah. And don't take those tax shops words for if you took this credit in 2021, you better have qualified off of that 20% reduction or government order. But, you know, there really weren't many government orders in 2021 for it. So really, it needs to be that reduction in collections. So if you're not down 20% or more in collections in that quarter, don't listen to these promoters, scammers telling you that anything qualifies. That's not how the law is written. So, you know, make sure if you have an accurate one that, you know, you take advantage of it. But if you have an inaccurate one, it's time to, you know, face up to the consequences and try to just get out of it as clean as you can. Because like I said earlier, there's no guarantee everybody gets audited. But if you do get audited, you know, you're not going to hold up in a courtroom, especially 2021 was a record boom year in dentistry. So a lot of these people that took the credit, their collections were actually higher in 2021 than it was in 2020 or 2019. So if you end up in a tax court facing the judge and you're going to have, you know, a, a jury there, somebody sitting there looking at it going, okay, we want to figure out if this is accurate or not. And you're sitting there, your financials are showing a record year. You got PPP loans. You likely had two of them. You got other government assistance and you still took advantage of this program. It's going to be really, really hard to win that. And we just recommend staying away from it, going ahead, taking the IRS's offer, admitting that, you know, somebody conned you into doing this, thinking that it was correct and it wasn't. So, in closing, you know, we thank everyone for listening to us, watching us. You know, we're here to provide as much relevant information as we can. This is being recorded on January 2nd. So as more information comes out, you know, we will try to keep everybody updated through our newsletter. So make sure you subscribe to the McGill Advisory if you have not already. We'll keep everyone up to date. Otherwise, if you do have a question, you need to talk to us. Call us up at the McGill and Hill Group and say you watch the webinar and I just need to talk to somebody and we'll try to get on the phone with you as soon as we can and do everything we can within reason to help you out. Absolutely. Well, Tyler, thanks for researching all this for us. And again, for everyone out there, thanks for listening to us and hopefully you'll chime in to our monthly Drilling It Downs uh, podcast available on Spotify uh, as well as our newsletter. And until next time, I hope everyone has a great new year. This wraps up another episode of Drilling It Down. We look forward to seeing you for the next episode. In the meantime, make sure to visit our website, mcgilladvisory.com. And if you aren't a current subscriber, subscribe to our newsletter. Use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your initial subscription.